G'day Dons fans, Jonathan Walsh here and welcome once again to another episode of Don the Stat. As always, I'm joined by my co-host Ian Hume. Hume, how's things mate? Uh, pretty good, Joe. Another week down and we're getting closer and closer to the season proper. So I'm starting to get excited as we look ahead to what's to come. Yeah, likewise. I'm, I'm glad it's Friday. I'm looking forward to a weekend. Uh, but yeah, it was good to have some footy back yesterday and watch the Dons run around. And as good as it was to see it on the tally, I, I don't think the coverage is likely to be nominated for a Logie or, or anything of the type. So Tonight, we're lucky to have a special guest who was at the game to talk us through what it looked like at ground level. Uh, this guest is uh, someone I've known for a long time. He spent seven seasons working in the Inner Sanctum at, at Essendon Football Club, first under Kevin Sheedy, then the Matthew Knights years, and, and of course, Herdy after that before he got deregistered from the Walsh family when he <laughs> defected to the Western Bulldogs for three seasons under Brendan McCartney. I am talking, of course, of my brother, Andrew. Andrew, thanks for joining Don The Start. No worries. Thank you for having me. Uh, how's life up on the sunny Gold Coast? You uh, got along to the game last night with two of your people who listen to the show will know I speak about your boys, my nephews, uh, quite a bit. So uh, you got took your two oldest ones to the game? Yeah, yeah, um, sure did. Yep. So not so sunny today, fair bit of rain. But, uh, yeah, it was a nice night out at uh, Metricon, uh, sorry, Heritage Stadium now. Um, it was good, good to get a look. Close up of uh, especially our young, young, some of our younger kids, and you know what kind of mix we're looking for moving forward. Uh, six quarters was a bit of a hard, hard to get a gauge on things, but um, yeah, it was good. It was good, good to see up close and good to get a win and no injuries. Yeah, it sounds like Brian might have got a little bit of a knock, but it doesn't sound like it's too bad. So, yeah, yeah, that's the, the big one, isn't it? Getting through these practice games without any injuries. More importantly, uh, Cooper and William. What did they make of the game? What was their feedback post-match? Um, no, they had a good night running around, got uh, lots of autographs post-game. Uh, nearly the whole team that played and that was up there, plus the coach, plenty of photos. Um, we won't mention who they missed out on, but there was one certain player. But that's fine. Um, and even got a photo with Huddy's favourite player, Marbiol Chol, too. So that um, just topped off the night lovely. So I did notice that you... Didn't take your youngest there. John has mentioned to me that he's he's a wavering Essendon fan and that Marby Olchol might sway yeah. him to the Gold Coast. So I, I I'm glad you kept him away and away from that that influence there. Otherwise, he might be out of the family from the way John describes it. Yeah, uh, first game of footy got a high five from Marby Olchol post game, so that's kind of stuck with him. So, um, no, he's got a bombers jumper, so he's a bombers boy. But he had kinder yesterday, so he's too tired. So, fair enough. Well, look, before we get stuck into tonight's episode. Jono sort of talked about a bit about your background in, in yep. football. You just want to go yep. into a little bit more detail there about the sort of roles yep. you're involved in and and yep. how you how you came to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so seven years at Essen started in 2005. Um, AFL Sports Ready uh, traineeship. Um, so my first injury was with Kevin Sheedy, quite daunting at 18 years of age, um, but a great experience. Got to work with some amazing people. Um, some, you know, big names of the club and the AFL, you know, Heard, Sheedy, Thompson, um, you know, current coaches in Goodwin, you know, Mark Harvey, Dean Molesquero, Donald, some great Essendon people. Um, so, yeah, my role was, you know, football analysis, IT, um, data. Um, you know, when I started, we were doing VHS tapes and then it moved to DVDs. And then, you know, when I finished up, it was, you know, real-time video, available on iPads, you know, players would have an application they could access from home, um, could upload 
four different angles of video, um, depending on what they're looking for. So, yeah, players would come to me and, um, you know, they, certain players that might potentially be playing on, they'd want, you know, stoppages or, you know, um, you know running patterns, et cetera. Um, so we'd provide data, video and statistical data. Um, also work close with, in recruiting. Um, that was a real passion. Still love the draft and that, and that now. Um, you know, watch the kids from kind of 16. You know, it's kind of a little bit freaky because I was with Froggy Davey last night and I remember him getting drafted and his two boys, you know, were born when he got drafted. Now they're on the list. So um, it's just it's crazy how quick time goes. Um, and then, yeah, obviously three years at the Dogs, which was um, interesting, hard, um, but also rewarding too. Taught me so much. Um, got to travel to London, got to see a go to uh, every venue in Australia. So Darwin, Cairns, Tasmania. So that was, yeah, that was, that was, you know, really uh, exciting. Got to watch footy everywhere. And then obviously, you know, part of that was we drafted some of their, you know, their, arguably their greatest players ever and Bonds and Pally, McRae, you know, all premiership players now. So yeah, wide range of roles um, over 10 years. Um, yeah, it's um, takes up your time footy, you know, six, seven days a week during footy season. Um, so um, it's a passion, um, but not not great for work-life balance now, especially with kids. But, um, yeah, something I do miss a little bit, but still keep in contact with some people within footy, so it's that's good. Yeah, well, if you were partly responsible for drafting players like that for the Bulldogs, I'm sure the statue at the Witten Oval uh, will be going up quite shortly, uh, given yeah. your responsibility all- for their, their <laughs> drought-breaking flag there. It was all me. It was all me. I bond and Pally all the way. No, only joking. Hey. Take full credit. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's interesting we bring up the Bontempelli pick because it sort of leads into our next topic because the same draft that he was picked up is the draft that Essendon picked up their next captain in Zach Merritt. I think it was pick 26 when yeah. I think Bont went at four. Is that right? Yeah, yeah traded for Stewie Cromery. So Stewie come to the dogs and, um, yeah, pick 26, 27 went to Essendon. So it could have been a pretty amazing draft for the Dogs, uh, Bond and Pally and Merritt, but they got some good service out of Stuart Cromery too. So and I know at the, set, at, at the time, Essen didn't want to lose him, um, but, um, yeah, that's how footy works, isn't it? Yeah, I guess sort of reflecting now on Merritt as captain, I know a lot of us, you know, in – the Essendon community entertained options of players like Redmond taking the captaincy. But I think in reality, it really came down to one of Merritt or McGrath as the two options. And as much as I think Andy has more obvious leadership skills than Merritt or the leadership skills that people sort of think of when they think of a captain, I think the reality is he's still cementing his spot in the side. Obviously, he's he's always the best 22 player, but he's, he's still trying to make the back line his own now. And so, in my view, as such, asking him to take on the full captaincy at this stage would be too much pressure. And so, therefore, we're left with Merritt as captain. I think it fits a similar mould to the players Brad Scott selected as captain of North during his time in Andrew Swallow and Jack Siebel, you know, the, the, probably the best midfielder in, in the side at the time. It's definitely going to be a change from what we've had. It's it's hard at this stage to see him leading the way that Dyson did. Uh, we saw with Dyson's post-game speeches, and we brought that up last week. You know, that's the style of leadership that, that he demonstrated. But there are other ways of leading. He clearly one of the best prepared players in the side for each game, and he seems like he's going to be the type to lead by example. Now, there was a couple of people uh, in the media pundit space looking to make a name for themselves or get some more... 
uh, focus on them who are saying that he's you know a bit soft and the like. But as far as I can tell, he constantly puts his body on the line for the team. He's been in the top two for average tackles for four of the five past years in the side, and he cops more undue contact from opposition players than anyone else, yet he always bounces back up and gets straight back into it. So I think the captaincy is a real opportunity for him to take himself to another level, not only as a leader, but as a player. Yeah, I think you're right, mate. I uh, Just talking about tackles there quickly, I, I had a quick look the other day. Uh, clearly, the way we went about things changed under Rutten, but if you look at Worsfold's last two seasons as coach, uh, Zach Merritt was in the top 15 in the AFL for tackles. So he's definitely a player that is happy to get his hands dirty and do the hard work defensively. I, I just think we seem to have gone away from that or went away from that a little bit the last few seasons. But yeah, I didn't get quite as caught up in the whole captaincy discussion as a lot of other people. I was pretty happy if Dyson Heppel did it again. I'm equally happy that it's Zach Merritt. And if it was someone else, I probably would have felt much the same. Uh, yeah, I'm everyone will know I'm a big Zach Merritt fan. You talked on his professionalism and the way he prepares. I think also his resilience. Like We've seen him you know, a couple of times, Mumford and another big-bodied opposition players have tried to take him out or landed on top of him. And, and he's the kind of guy that just got up and was it Round two, I think, last year, he had that syndesmosis injury against the Brisbane Lions and only missed the three games, came back on Anzac Day. I think he had 30-odd disposals and, and really didn't miss a beat at, at a time when people were missing six, eight, 10, 12 weeks with syndesmosis injuries. So, yeah, he, he clearly does everything that he needs to do to get himself up for a game of football. I think the other criticism that's levelled at him that I think is really unfair is he gets compared to... as as do most captains now, but they get compared to Joel Selwood. And, uh, you know, he can't beat Joel Selwood. He's, he's not Joel Selwood. He can only be Zach Merritt and, and be the best Zach Merritt he can be. And I guess the truth is if we had Joel Selwood or a Joel Selwood, they probably would have been captain a year or two ago and we wouldn't be having this discussion anyway. So I think it's a bit of a, a moot one. But, yeah, he's gone away. He's worked on his leadership. He took the... You know, he got relegated out of the leadership group at a time where we had the likes of Danaher and and Fantasia kind of running the place and, and running the show. And I, I don't think it's any surprise that Zach's the kind of player that probably clashed with with those guys and how they went about it. So, yeah, it's, it's clearly something that he wanted, he aspired to, and he's put the work in to be best positioned to take it on. And, yeah, well, good luck to him, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, probably the other thing that come out of that announcement was the fact there was no named leadership group, which is pretty rare these days. I, I see that Sydney's once again going with the three co-captains as well as a leadership group there. So to only have two named leaders is pretty different in the AFL environment these days. But I don't really see that as a massive deal in the sense that we have a lot of players who we would consider to have leadership potential. There's no real out-and-out candidates that are set in their place in the side. I know uh, people talk a lot about Hobbs and, uh, you know, you were mentioning Joel Selwood. People sort of compare him to Joel Selwood, but he's, you know, going to be lucky to obviously be fit to start round one. But even then, you know, it was touch and go whether he would be in that first side. So hopefully the club is investing in its leadership programs like it has been in its development programs, and that'll allow the next generation of Essendon leaders to develop, you know, players like Redmond, like Hobbs, you know, an Archie Perkins, and maybe even a Sammy Draper in a Max Gorn style role could also develop in that leadership potential. The only other one of me that stands out is, uh, is Jaden Laverde. I just think he, not as probably as captain, but as a leader, just he just never gets beaten. He's just a team first player, like even watching him last night, um, him and Jordan Ridley working together, just team first, written all over him. Um, 
they probably don't. They're not the household names like a Merritt or a McGrath or a Parish, but I just see them as two leaders that just lead the way on field and lead by actions more than anything. Yeah, I think I also did hear Brad Scott during the week say that they would be looking to develop the next group of leaders. I think GWS had done something similar. They, I think they named three in their leadership groups. So Green is standalone captain, and then they've named two vice captains. But they've, I mean, they did name an emerging leaders group, but it sounds like it's something that Brad Scott is already thinking about and, and is going to do. So whatever happens, I, I, I'm going to assume that our next captain that, that comes after Zach, whenever that is, is probably going to be better prepared and and ready to go than um than what Zach's been given the you know sort of all the other changes that happened off field and on field in the last 12 months so yeah um we'll see how it plays out mate yeah well obviously his first opportunity to lead the club was in the gold coast practice match now i've only had time to watch snippets of the match i managed to catch the first quarter and then i managed to get through most of the third quarter at one and a half time speed uh, at lunchtime today. Uh, so my contributions to this part of the episode is probably going to be a bit slim, but luckily Jono was able to pay close attention as you could tell from his Twitter feed. Whilst we actually have Andrew who was at the match and was able to watch without suffering from nausea due to the camera work. So I'm going to, as I said, I'll defer to the two of you on the view of the game. So Andrew, given that you were there, what were the things that stood out to you as obviously different from last year? Yeah, I just um, – I know there's only little tweaks that have been made, but I just feel our mid, more midfield depth, um, just the players that went through there throughout the night. Granted, we played a longer game. I think centrefield just uh, – just it reminds me a bit of Joe Watson. He's not Joe Watson, I know, but he just got that size and presence, but also his ability to spread from stoppages I thought was re- – really highlight that on the night. Um, and I thought, yeah, Durham on the wing, just his work rate is second to none. He gets – Gets up and back. He gets out. He creates, makes the ground bigger, creates widths at stoppages. Probably doesn't get used enough. Um, but I just thought that from our midfield group, I seem to work harder. Um, and then I think just Draper coming on, I think it was the third period, just gave that real presence around the ground. It kind of lifted everyone a little bit too. And I, I suppose from the forward line too, it was exciting seeing three small forwards, you know, in, in Tipper, Davia and Menzi. Um, along with the three tools. But I just think something we haven't had for a long time, genuine small forwards that, you know, Davey gave two free kicks away and one was right in front of where we were standing. I thought it was pretty stiff, but just reminded me of his dad. I remember his dad's first 14 games were second to none. His pressure, his tackling, his chase down tackles were unbelievable. Um, And I just saw that a little bit last night and also just our – Ability to be front and square. I think I was speaking to Johnson say about this. There was at one stage, Tipper was at the front of the pack, Menzi at the back. So either way, we we're going to win the ball. Um, that was a real highlight of the night. I thought we um, just hadn't had that you know, last year and years gone by. Obviously, Tipper sat out last season too. Um, so, yeah, go, moving forward, it's going to be interesting to see what the structure is. Um, and also, I think the way we delivered the ball the first two periods was, you know, we didn't really lower our eyes. We're going shallow, which made the ground hard to defend. But then I think we kind of changed our changed our tacks a little bit, went deeper, went deeper to the big guys, and that's when we're getting our front and squares and getting them over the back. So there were just a couple of thoughts from last night um, and watching on. Yeah, there were a couple of things for me that stood out in terms of being different, uh, at least on the telly. Curious to see, Andrew, what you thought being there. But the first one to me was that, forward press our defenders got a lot higher up the ground than they were 
last season and it really enabled us to get repeat inside 50s. And we were really only able to do that, I think, because of that forward pressure that you talked about. That that wasn't there in 2022. So it meant when our defenders did push up, the ball came out so quickly and got past them that, that, that it was kind of really ineffective. But last night we saw, especially in the first and third periods when we were kicking in the wind, uh, yeah. kicking with the wind, sorry, like Ridley, Redmond, Laverde coming up from half back, intercepting, and then going back inside 50. Uh, I, I can't remember, other than maybe Redmond or Hind on the run, seeing a lot of our defenders uh, kicking the ball back inside 50 last year. So that, you know, we got that right for a couple of quarters, maybe not mm. the whole game yet, but that was um, definitely different. And then our ball use looked a lot more direct. I think I agree, Andrew, watching it on tally, I think early we almost took that part of our game plan a bit too literal because we just looked to go long and bang it in and bang it in and bang it in, but then seemed to adjust that um, after yeah, maybe halftime um, and sort of, yeah, lowered our eyes, as we said, and um, and started to get a bit more balance of when to go long and direct, get crummers to the ball versus shorter and, and hit up some options. So, yeah, th- those two things, whilst not, yeah, you know, it's still a work in progress and a lot more work to do. We're certainly better than than how we went about things in 2022, I think. And I think having that pressure, having those small forwards at the fall of the ball allows defenders to push up and then get those re-entries in. Otherwise, the ball just comes out too quickly. And last year, we saw that coast to coast all the time. I think the putting pressure on him getting, I thought last night, we had a lot of forward stoppages, which is which is a good thing because it allows our defence to set up behind the ball, kind of play the game in our forward half. So I thought that was a big tick, and especially with Draper being on, just his dominance too and just his presence. I thought once he come on, it really changed the game around a little bit. Yeah, so look, we're going to sort of break this up into a few sections. Obviously, there's not really a whole lot you can take out of it. Um, there's been saying it's sort of a six-quarter game. We had Gold Coast playing you know, their strong side for the first couple of quarters and then rotating other players through while Essendon took a different approach and, you know, sort of spread it out a little bit more. So it's hard to get a gauge, you know, where, where we stand in terms of best 22 versus best 22, 23, sorry. Uh, but I guess what things did you learn from the game? We'll start with you, Jono. Yeah, I guess more on an individual level, uh, Andrew's already stolen my thunder a little bit on on Will Setterfield. I, I really liked his spread. Like I, I knew he was a big, tall midfielder who could who could compete and win contested ball. And I, I know at Carlton at times he played out on a wing and, and was sort of squeezed out there. So he's played on the outside a bit. But what I liked last night was his ability to spread from the contest and get the ball on the outside as a second, third effort. He, he crept forward at one stage, took a mark and kicked a goal, I think, in the third quarter. And, uh, you know, I'm as you know, Humi, I'm not – a big one on the tall midfielders. I think uh, it's got a little bit lost at, you know, if the ball's on the ground, height doesn't really matter. But I think where tall forwards, sorry, tall mids do have a an advantage is when they can get forward from the midfield. And and he did that on one occasion last night, took a mark, kicked a goal. Uh, so that, yeah, there were parts of his game that I hadn't really seen a lot of. So that came by as a bit of a surprise. I, I don't know... If, if this was a surprise or not, I, I think I probably expected it, but needed to see it. But Alan Davy, uh, and granted all the things you saw, you spoke about, Hume, about the, the the conditions of the match. But he's definitely ready to play senior footy. He's got all the evasiveness, that quick step and and hit pivot that 
that puts himself into a little bit of a space. Interesting at the, the risk of sounding like a name drop. Uh, you mentioned to me last night that you thought he looked a little bit like Andrew Lovett in the way that he went about it rather than his dad, Andrew, that sort of he's maybe not as quick off the first few steps, but gets himself into space by just moving his body. And then once he does, you know, put the jet pack on and the afterburners kick in, he's, he's got some real speed. So yeah, he, he's ready. I, I, I'm still hot on picking him for round one. Uh, definitely learned that the three small forwards work. I think our tools are still finding their way. They they ran to the same spot a few times. The delivery didn't help, but I, I didn't get that sense with the smalls. Andrew gave the example that was Waller's goal where, where Waller crumbed and snapped, but Menzi was on the other side of the pack. Uh, and then there was a number of others of those where, you know, Menzi, he kicked his goal, his crumbing goal, uh, that one where he probably could have handballed to to Nick Martin, but I don't mind um, hung, uh, small forwards being hungry. But uh, again, we had multiple crumbing options. Um, so yeah, as Andrew said, it's a commodity that we haven't been used to. And then the other one that really stood out to me was Tex Wanganine. Uh, he missed a couple of chances, but he's just so clean at ground level. He's, he hasn't had much of a preseason. So to come in last night and, and show the things that he did, uh, yeah, he's got some tricks. He, he could be absolutely anything i think so um yeah I, I don't think we'll see a lot of him at senior level this year i think he's got a lot of development to do but he's got all the raw attributes um so yeah that, they were the ones for me what what about you andrew you, you mentioned durham one one thing i've been a little bit concerned about um in watching him in 2022 was that he he does do a lot of running but maybe doesn't get to the right spot so i was a bit more buoyed by your comment that he didn't get used as often as he should have you got a view on why you think that is yeah, I'm not really sure why. Um, I thought there was a couple of stages last night where he could have been used more um, just to spread their defence a little bit, And but he wasn't used. But I think he's, he's running his elite. And then he also, when he needs to win the ball, he puts his head over the ball. He's that bigger body too. Um, yeah, I really liked his game. Um, I reckon he's – I thought last year he was probably stiff to miss out early on. I know they didn't play him. They brought him in, but I thought he's a – He's a, he's a hard worker. He works both ways. I think, you know, a couple of them in your team are like gold, really. Um, the other one I liked, he only come on late, was Paddy Voss. Um, just really powerful. Um, I know he's missed a bit of preseason. He's got a little bit of way to go. But I remember watching him up at Southport here last year in the VFL. He basically won us the game in the last quarter. He does remind me a bit of Stuart Cromery. He's that power 190, 192 forward um, that gets up and gets back. You know, he... It was in that really beautiful set of, uh, set of play out of the centre, just hit the post. Um, but he's an exciting player, I reckon, for the future. And I think potentially if if he potentially might move into the midfield, I'm not sure, but I think there's that power third forward. Um, yeah, he's a, he's one to watch, I reckon, um, get some games under him. And What what did he look like off the ball? Uh, obviously, the coverage just followed the ball. And I guess you could ask you the same question about Waller too. So... Uh, how were they? How was their sort of recovery when they put in an effort? Did you get a sense that their their fitness was was improving? I know Voss didn't have much of an engine last year, and Waller's obviously missed a lot of of footy. So how were they off the field? Were they sort of blowing a gasket every time they put in uh, an effort, or did they look alright? No, no, looked pretty good. Um, and Voss was kind of playing as our only tall at that time at that stage too, because Wright was off, Jones was off, so he was kind of our number one target. Um, and he presented well. Um, didn't get outmarked. And yeah, and Tipper, you know, he's got a way to go. He's obviously not back to his levels that, you know, what, two or three years ago, but 
Um, his repeat efforts were pretty good, I thought. And, and the night wasn't too hot either, so that kind of helped too. It wasn't a 30-plus degree night. Um, it was a pretty, pretty, you know, 24, 25, so it wasn't overly warm either. So um, I thought all positives for Tipper um, moving forward. And, God, the crowd gets excited when he gets the ball, that's for sure. The crowd was probably 50-50 last night, so I'm speaking to you today about that. And any time Tipper went near the ball, the crowd erupted. So um, get, him, get him on the G round one against Hawthorne, I reckon. Yeah, he's yeah. I'm starting to get more excited about about that. I think I he made his way into my team last week, and yeah, the, you know his his improvement seems to be exponential in terms of where he came from. So as you say, get him in there. You know, you've got the sub option now. You can take you can take him off if you need to. Obviously, uh, barring any other injuries that cause yeah. a player to be taken off, but you know you've got that option now. Yeah, I think um, Davey and Tip will feed off each other too. I remember you know back in the day, Froggy. His dad and Leroy Jetta together, they kind of fed off each other. I think having them both out there together um, and the crowd will just erupt when they you know, run down tackles. It's just, just something to really look forward to, I reckon. And, you know, Alwyn's obviously up and going, but all reports is Jaden is just as good as Alwyn. So that's exciting for the future. Yeah, and I think another thing on on that and getting Tipper out there and, and hopefully Alwyn as well is that Alwyn's going to learn so much watching how Tipper goes in, a, in an AFL match situation, you know, just just watching what he does. Uh, he, he's going to get so much experience from that. And that's one of the fantastic benefits of getting him back, not only for his own ability, but also what he's going to impart to that small forward brigade. Yeah. And w- one thing Waller has about him that Froggy Davey also had, and by the sounds of it, his, his junior boys, uh, uh, Owen Jr. starting to, develop as well as uh, you know, Snelling and, and Guelphie and the like work really hard and they do put pressure on and they do tackle and, and it comes through effort. But Wallach causes mistakes through inferred pressure, like just just being in the area, he causes opposition players to panic and turn the ball over. So um, uh, it, it just uh, opposition defenders, when they're, they're coming out of our forward line, can't just... Uh, yeah, they can't relax. They can't look for easy kicks. It, it just causes some panic. So I think adding that um, dynamics with Waller and, and adding a second, you know, one with um, with Alwyn Jr. gives us something really exciting that we haven't had for probably since, you know, <laughs> Froggy and mm-hmm. and Lovett and, um, and Leroy Jetta were running around. So, yeah, it's good to see. Yeah, well, just before we move on, um, you've both sort of talked about Alwyn Dave Sr. and his first few games as a, I don't know if you guys know it. There's a great YouTube compilation basically of those first 14 games. And he's, you know, he's basically everywhere. He's charging down, taking players down, those big rundown tackles like we see with Tipper and, you know, kicking fantastic goals. Uh, have a have a look for it on YouTube if you can find it. Yeah. It's a really great set of clips there just to remind you of what he was and if his sons are anything like him, we're in for something special. I remember post that that game where he broke his arm um i put a highlights video together it was about five or six minutes and it was all of that goals tackles and it's probably arguably the best highlights package that i put together over my time um he was pretty flat because it was his first season he just moved his family over from adelaide and we're actually talking about it last night how good that 14 games was like his first 14 games were phenomenal um i'm not sure goals wise but the amount of tackles and run down tackles. I remember Eddie had would just erupt when he would run down someone. Um, yeah, very, very exciting player. Um, and let's hope the boys are half as good as, it, as the old man. Yeah. Well, I, mean, 
I do want to move on, but like, like he was almost the first of that type, wasn't he? That you know, small brother. rundown. His brother, his brother, yeah, his brother's more of a midfielder, I guess. He moved into midfield pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose his brother did play a bit more. His brother was taller too, mm. um, and Alwyn was drafted a bit older. I think he was twenty-two or twenty-three when he was drafted. Yeah, as as I said, hopefully we get the similar highlight package from his sons, and they they don't have the same uh, bad injury luck that he had when, especially when Jaden gets back to playing. I guess you know, obviously, obviously through preseason, there's still things that you want to know, Jono. What are the things that you didn't get out of the game that you're still looking to still looking to learn for, about? Yeah, I'm still not sure what our best midfield mix or midfield balance looks like. I, I didn't expect that would be solved last night anyway, given the size of the squads and how heavily things are rotated and and the like. But I, I don't think I I learned any extra other than you know, saw more of Setterfield than I expected. Uh, yeah, I still don't think I, I know quite what our best midfield mix might look like. That, uh, but that's okay. I'm 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 okay with that. Uh, Andrew, you you sort of said. Something similar when we talk, spoke about it this morning. How how did you feel about it at ground level? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it is. It's hard to get a gauge on the six periods. Obviously, they didn't have their best midfielding either. Um, obviously, our, our probably three best mids started in there um, without Draper. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's a good thing to have. We haven't had midfield depth for a very long time. Um, obviously, it'd be nice to see the likes of Archie Perkins through there a little bit more. Um, but it is what it is. Um, you know, you got Parrish, Merritt, Shield, three pretty good starting mids with Centerfield, Durham and Martin on the wing. So it's a it's a pretty good start. Um, and then obviously when Hobbs is fit, you know, let's hopefully he gets some minutes through there to help his development. Um, so, yeah, it, it was a hard one to get a gauge on. And I suppose the other one from the night was um, who's going to play on that big forward um, in our back line, obviously Ridley and Laverde played last night and Baldwin, I think, was a kind of uh, fill a hole with Sir Thatcher going down late. Um, just don't know who's going to fill that hole and to play on the, I suppose, a big gorilla each week. It's probably hard to get a gauge on that, especially given the conditions. I know when watching the ball go in essence forward line, it was difficult for our tour forwards to get a run at it or, you know, yes. to, to take the big marks. So, yeah. you know, you, I... I've heard I've heard people say that they thought Kane Baldwin did pretty well in the in yep. the back line, um, but again, how much can you judge that given the conditions weren't great for tall forwards? You know, it's not you know under the dome at Marvel where he could be more exposed. So some positive signs there, but you know you're not you're not locking him in in that role in the twenty two at any any time soon. I know. Um- I know he's trained a little bit at preseason at, at both ends of the ground. Obviously, he was recruited as a forward, but I, I do wonder, as Andrew said, whether rather than shuffling all the magnets once Zerk Thatcher wasn't going to be playing, they they slotted Baldwin into Zerk Thatcher's role so they could use uh, Laverde and Ridley the way that they wanted to and we intend to in, in round one so that wasn't too destructive. But speaking of defenders, uh, they came on late in the game and we didn't really see a lot of them because the ball was mostly at at um, at the other end of the ground, and obviously the coverage followed the footy. But uh, ground level, I think at least for one of the quarters, they were they were down your end, Andrew. What did you make of Montgomery, Hayes, and and Lord? I might start with Montgomery first. Yeah, um, he was a bit of a surprise. I don't I haven't done a lot about him. Obviously, I think he's a mature age, quite big, solid shoulders through the shoulders. Didn't really get beaten one-on-one as such. Um, but it was, as it was hard to get a real gauge on 
the defence at that stage because all their good forwards off the round, Casbolt, Chole, Ainsworth, um, the young first-round draft pick, they took Humphreys. Um, so it was kind of a little bit hard to get a gauge on on our back line at that stage and the ball wasn't coming down a hell of a lot. But the times it did come down, I thought they competed well. Lord looks like he uses the ball well, got a little bit of speed, um, just not sure where he kind of fits with our you know, our best six or best eight down there at the moment. Obviously, he's got a little bit of development to do. Um, who was the other one? Sorry. Hayes, our, our second yeah. draft pick. Yeah, so he's a big boy, um, number 18, obviously after Hurley. Um, but, yeah, he looked he looked good. Um, he's a good size. He's obviously got to fill out a bit. Reminds me of Fletch a little bit, the way he kicks and he's got the kind of long legs. I guess moving on then from what we want to know, what, what are the concerns that came out of the game for me? I guess the concern is delivery to the tall forwards. I think it's something that Essendon fans have spoken a lot about, you know, probably for at least a decade that the the way in which the ball is moved into the, into the forward line is not always the most efficient or effective. Obviously, as, as we discussed just before, the conditions didn't really favour the tall forwards. Uh, hopefully, next week's conditions are calmer and we can see more from them. But I guess, you know, it's going to be difficult to get an understanding of how they all work together until we see them play more together. Sounds like the Saints uh, played with a, a spare behind the ball. So a yeah, real old school Ross Lyon type of footy. So we're probably going to get a, a real test on ball use into our 50 next week. But I think it's just going to take a little bit of time. But I, like I mentioned earlier, I think we did bomb and sort of hack forward a little bit early, but we did adjust that um, at, you know, throughout the game and it got better. Wright and Jones haven't played a lot of footy together themselves and then you add Wiedemann to the mix. So it is a, a brand new dynamic, not to mention, you know, Jones has missed a lot of the preseason. Wright and Wiedemann themselves have missed a little bit. So I think it's just going to take some time for them to learn how to to work with one another and um, and that should get better uh, and that connection with the midfielders. And also our mids were rotating so rapidly that they probably didn't get into the game uh, as much as they would have liked either. So I, I'm not too concerned about what we saw in the first quarter in that regard. Uh, but a couple of other things to me that I, I think, I'd, I don't know if they're concerns, but they're just things that, that definitely need to improve. One is that our wingers, I thought, got sucked too far forward at times and then it made it easy for the ball to get out the back. So, uh, you know, again, well, young guys at, at times, Durham and Martin, but also some more experienced guys in Langford and, and Heppel, as well, we're just when the ball was in dispute in, inside our 50, uh, I don't think they need to get sucked in. They can sit out and and, def- and set up to defend. And um, and what it did do was it created some two-on-ones against us um, and made it a little bit easier for them to get out. Uh, so, yeah, I'd like to see that improve. And then the other one for me was they did get a bit of a run on in the second quarter and, and we weren't really able to stop their momentum. Uh, I think maybe partly because of the wind and, and we weren't reading that properly. Uh, but yeah, they, they were the ones for me. Your views in general, Andrew, but also just talk a little bit about the wind. Was it as bad as it looked on the telly or are we overstating it a little bit? No, the wind was, yeah, it was pretty significant. Um, yeah, it was hard. The wind we were at was where they were kicking into the wind. Yeah, it was hard to play and it was a funny kind of ground too. Not overly big ground either. So I think it's kind of hard to get a gauge on those big forwards. And as you spoke about um, just before, our entries into side 50 did improve throughout the game, I thought. Um, it didn't and look then, like there were any pockets. Is that right? Like it sort of looked like a really yeah. narrow... Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so there, there wasn't a lot of space for big forwards to lead, nor for 
sort of decoy, decoy leads really either, was there? Yeah. And then you look at our forward line too, like Menzi, Davey, Tipper didn't play any footy at all last year, or AFL senior footy really. And then you got Jones, Wright and Wiedemann that haven't played together at all. So they're quite young and experienced um, in terms of games together. So I thought, you know, as a whole, I thought pretty good first hit out, um, no injuries. And, you know, there's only one way to go from now and that's up and improve. I think more and more they play together, the better they're going to be. Yeah, I mean, as as you said, it's very early and every team's in the same boat, you know, trying to yeah. work out their best combination is and how they want to play moving into the season. So obviously got another practice match and then hitting up Hawthorne in round one. Uh, so speaking of round one, last week we spoke about our teams that we were going to pick for that match. Given what you saw last night, have you made any changes or any adjustments to your team for round one, Johnny? No, I haven't. I think it really just reaffirmed a lot of things for me. I think Menzi and, and Alan Davey get a game. Um, so I already had them in and, and I'm sticking with them. I had Waller in and I'm, until until we get confirmation otherwise, he's still in my team. I, obviously, he still has a bit of a way to go. But if he does recover well and, and he's he plays again next week and gets another game under his belt and then is able to train you know, up until round one, then I'm still picking him. Like I said last week, you know, 80, Waller at 80% is better than who, you know, whoever might replace him at, at 100%. Uh, as, as long as as mentally he's he's up for the challenge of that. Uh, I know Langford has missed part of the preseason. I left him out of my side and I'm not going to read too much into last night, but I still think his best position as a footballer isn't in the best interest of the side. I think his best position is... Is forward and and if we're going those three talls, then I think we need to have three smalls rather than than someone like Kyle, who's uh, you know plays taller than he does smaller. Um, I had I had Stringer in my team. Uh, I'll take him out, but I don't think I'd be going with Langford to replace him on what I saw last night. I, I think I'd have I had Perkins as my sub, and I think he'd be the one that comes in for for Jake, assuming he's not right to go for round one. Yeah, I think the big thing for me is after watching that game is I had two small forwards and the and the two mids and I'd, I'd be similar to you. I'd be trying to get that third small forward into the side. I just think as you sort of suggested, it creates a lot more pressure in the forward line and that gives our back line a lot more time to set up. So I, I think overall it's it's a better way forward than going with the, the two mids, two tall size and two smalls. Okay, so I guess the other the other takeaway, how much were you looking at what the Suns were doing given that we play them in round two? Was what takeaway much about their game? John, I will start with you. Yeah, look, I, I didn't take a lot of notice of them. I was really focused on what we were doing and also trying not to suffer seasickness while watching the coverage. But uh yeah, I I mean Bailey Humphrey, it was hard not to be impressed with him. He he's gonna be a really, really good player for them. And I'd imagine he's gonna put his hand up to play round one and, and we'll see a fair bit of senior footy this year. That tall forward line works really well for them when they get fast ball movement. But it can also be exposed coming out the other way if you can set up well and 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 you can exploit them. I think the Lukosius, it's interesting, Andrew and I were actually talking about this a couple of weeks ago. He's such a dangerous player at halfback. I, I, I'm not sure I completely understand the, the want to play him forward, but where he is dangerous is when he gets sort of 60 to 90 metres from goal and, and has an opportunity to 
to enter inside 50. So if that's a matchup that someone like Jordan Ridley ends up with, you can't really afford to drop off him and, and let him get the ball up the ground because he'll hurt you. Uh, but they're also missing a few. You know, Andrew mentioned Tuke Miller wasn't playing and he's obviously their best player. Brandon Ellis is, you know, experienced, big body and can play multiple roles. He wasn't there. And, and of course, um, Sam Collins, their best key defender, wasn't there either. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't watch them closely enough. And, you know, th- the game was sort of hard to take anything from. But anything, uh, you mentioned Humphrey already, Andrew, Any anyone else that stood out for you? Um, I suppose a couple others that were missing. King wasn't playing. I didn't play last year, but he's in their best 22 when he's fit. Um, Lockie Weller and Will Powell probably in their 22 to 25. Will Powell up and going is, you know, in their best 18. Um, uh, Anderson just is, is a gun mid, um, works hard, uses the ball well. The other one was Ballard um, down back, number 10. Similar to Ridley, really marks the ball well, sets up well behind the play, kind of intercepts in the mould of Ridley. Um, I, w- I remember watching him a few games last year live and really liked him. Um, so he's one, you know, to look out for. And then Flanders, number three, midfielder. I think he kicked two goals. He definitely kicked one. Um, I don't know a lot about him, but, yeah, he kind of impressed early on, got the ball moving forward for him. Um, yeah, as I said, a midfield I don't know a lot about. I, I think he was a mid to 15 pick or something, mid-teen pick. Um, I think he's been around a couple of years, but I don't yeah, don't know a hell of a lot about him. Um, but he was someone that kind of stood out last night, obviously, with with the likes of Took Miller and that and that um, not playing. Um, yeah, he was one that kind of stood out for me. Yeah, he's pick 11 in the 2019 draft from Mowie. So, um, yeah, he was one I that stood out and Ballard was the other one. So, yeah, just a couple of names. Yeah, well, obviously we'll come back to some of these points when we start doing our Suns preview before round two. Moving on to the final practice game, which will be against St Kilda next Friday night. Uh, What sort of things do we want to see against St Kilda? Obviously a bit more of a traditional match structure as opposed to what we saw against the Gold Coast Suns. Uh, Jono, what's the things you're wanting to see from that match? Yeah, I... I think there's just one key one for me and and that front half pressure sort of system or setup worked really well for two of the let's call it four quarters because that that fifth period of of 10 minutes was you know pretty up and down it was basically uh, a sort of training drill so so for for two of the, the the first four quarters that worked really well so you know I'd like to just see that progress and get better and 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 be better for longer you know uh, it's going to take some time before we're able to maintain that for four quarters there'll be mistakes but if we can use the second game to get that from two quarters to three then I think that would be a, a really good progression that that'll be the main one for me mate Andrew what about you I think just improvement I think if we can get structure especially forward of the ball working um get a good midfield mix and get some minutes together. I think with Draper and our key mids and I think let's look at the three key forwards again with the three smalls. Um, it seemed to work last night. Um, and then our back line is going to be interesting as we spoke about before. They haven't got a hell of a lot of many key forwards up and going at the moment. So that, that mix is going to be interesting to see how we structure up against a smaller forward line. Yeah, as, as you sort of said, that was that was my thinking about ahead to the Saints with the lack of tall forwards, it's hard to know who's going to play that role, especially if Brandon Zerk Thatcher's injury is more serious than, you know, just a late withdrawal there. So it'd be interesting to see how that goes there. Well, look, thanks for joining us tonight, Andrew. We're sort of going to start wrapping up, but just give us your thoughts about the year ahead. Where are you in terms of 
you know, are you on the positive side? Are you on the, you know, more pessimistic side heading into 2023? Uh, very positive. I think off-field changes have been a blessing for the club. I think for more resources into footy has been a massive win. Let's hope that, you know, helps with results. I know Jonathan and I are speaking about this today, but we're going from one midfield coach to three. Can only help. Obviously, we've got a big group of midfielders. We've got the likes of Travis Cloak and Michael Hurley, you know, teaching forward and defensive craft to our to our younger players and more senior forwards and defenders. So I think it's, it's it can only be positive. And let's hope, you know, you look back at the end of the year and, you know, the likes of Perkins and Hobbs and the like have improved. Um, you know, Redmond has another good season. You know, Ridley gets back to his best. McGrath at halfback. Um, I think you can only be positive. I was speaking to a few people last night and, you know, we've definitely got the talent. Now it's just a matter of, you know, that talent putting it all together and putting some wins on the board. And, you know, let's get a few wins early and, um, you know, anything can happen really. And the other thing is uh, staying fit, keeping blokes on the park has been our, I suppose, big one for the last few years. Just losing key players at the same time really hurts. Um, So let's hope upwards um yeah and let's be positive and hopefully start the season well it's an, an interesting uh, point you touched on there about the the coaching resources that's another one that we haven't touched on but they're going to take some time to like every coach's box is has a different dynamic doesn't it like you know every time yeah. you bring in a new senior coach and and even just a new assistant into the mix that they, they take some time to find you know work their way through how they communicate on game day and and who, you know, how they talk to players and how they talk to other coaches and how all those things work. So, yeah, that's a that's one that you know we haven't spoken about too. Like we talked about the forward mix and and them getting to work together. Um, Brad Scott and his coaching crew are going to need to to work out how they they run you know the coaches box and and the interchange bench on game day as well. So, um, the St Kilda game will be important for them as as much as it will be for the playing group. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously from past experience, it, it does take time. How coaches work, some are erratic, some are quiet, um, how you communicate, who looks after what. Um, and obviously Brad Scott's been out of the game for a few years too, so it's all changed. Um, so, yeah, it will be interesting. But, you know, the positive is the club's put resources into the right areas now, into footy, um, and it can only be a positive for the players. Now I suppose it's it's the players' turn, um, you know, to buy in. The club's bought in and given them the resources. Now they've got to buy in on the field. So, yeah, let's see how they go. Well said. Well, look, once again, Andrew, thank you for joining us tonight. Right. Hopefully we'll be able to get you back on again at some other stage throughout the year. Really great that you joined us tonight and got your insight from the ground there. You know, it's, as, as I said, it was hard through the TV to really gauge what was happening. So to have that insight was really valuable. Thank you. No worries. Thank you for having me. That's all right. Now, before we wrap up, just a few short messages. Firstly, thanks to our new patrons, uh, Matthew Hanley and Robert Hughes. I have lined up our next bonus episode guest, uh, someone I'm really excited to talk about. And if you've seen my Twitter feed, uh, you'll see this. I've been interacting with this person quite a lot over the past year. I think they've got some really good insights and they do some really good work uh, in the stats and idea space uh, of Essendon Twitter. Uh, So that should be out in the second week of next month to patrons uh, before going out in the main feed a week later. I'll make sure I don't stuff up the release date this time like I did with Liam's episode. 
We also have a Don the Stat footy tip competition happening. Uh, winners are going to get some Don the Stat merch, such as our hoodies or T-shirts. Uh, you can sign up using the link and password that you can find in the description of this episode. And finally, look, uh, don't ask about this much, but if you're enjoying what we're doing, if you can leave us a rating, a review on Apple Podcasts or the review side of your choice, uh, that would really be appreciated. It does help uh, get the name out there a bit more, especially heading into the season. John, any final words from you? No, just thanks, Andrew, for jumping on. That was really helpful. Appreciate it. Uh, Muchly, Hughie, thanks for keeping us organised and on track once again and all the hard work you do in in putting this together and, and getting it out there. Uh, it's been good to talk about some footy and um, and actually see the boys run around. So looking forward to the Saints game in a week's time. Excellent. Thanks, everyone. Go Dons.